All right, are we all ready? Now I gotta remember what I say. <laughs> Hello, this is Jen Daniel. Welcome to HR Wonder Woman with Wendy and Ann. Kizama, thank you for tuning in and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to HR Wonder Women. I'm your host, Wendy, and with me as always is Ann. How is everything today, Ann? Uh, everything is great, Wendy. I'm excited to be back. It feels like we haven't done this in a long time. <laughs> I think our, our recording schedule is... Um, is not super set on the calendar somehow. And it just yeah. it feels like it's been forever. I've missed you. I know I've missed you too. I love getting a chance to chat with you and um, excited to, uh, to jump into the show tonight. Um, so let's, uh, we'll go ahead and uh, hopefully everyone has listened to our one-on-one uh, -on -one episode, uh, kind of see the, the direction that Ann and I want to take the show. And uh, so we're going to start out with self-identifying. Um, I am Wendy. I am a white, female, straight, side gender, uh, non-disabled uh, woman. And I use the she and her pronouns. How about you, Ann? I'm pretty much the same, right? I'm a, I'm a white woman, um, cisgender, straight, non-disabled, and she and her are my pronouns. <laughs> awesome. And we are so excited to have uh, Jen Daniel on the show tonight. She was uh, introduced to us by Katrina Kibben. So I always love having these, uh, these introductions, especially through Twitter, because that's how Ann and I met, of course. <laughs> um, so I'm going to uh, turn it over to you, Ann, if you want to uh, introduce our guest, and then we will uh, jump into our show. Sounds good. Thanks, Wendy. Uh, I am particularly excited because this is honestly my first chance to get to talk to Jen. Um, I think, Wendy, you and Jen had some conversation, and I've had some email conversation, but this is our first chance to actually talk to each other. So I am super excited to introduce Jen Daniels. She is an enrolled member of the Wyandotte Nation of Oklahoma. She's also an HR professional. She's a little bit newer to the HR field. Um, in the past 10 years, previously, she was a teacher and an advocate, and she is based out of the Seattle area. So welcome, Jen. And I'm going to jump right in and ask you how you identify and what are your pronouns. And um, I think specifically for, for me, when I look at your bio and, and stuff, talk to us a little bit about how you prefer to be referred to, to as a member of the Wyandotte Nation. Sure. So I'm Jen Daniel. I am female. I am a Native American and my pronouns are she and her. I do have my tribal name on my Twitter profile, but most commonly go as Jen Daniel. That tends to be the tribal name tends to be something a little more localized to people I know, other tribal members and things such as this. So that's kind mm -hmm. of the explanation on that. The first part means deer and the second part means mud eater. It's your terrace. And that's a reflection of my descendant Chief Matthew Mudeater, and it's because my tribe originally was based on the shores of Lake Huron, and there was clay we would eat. It had nutritional value, so that's where the the name comes from. That's that is awesome. Thank you for sharing. I love to hear the stories of people's names. Um, yeah, yeah, that's it's so cool. Yeah. Um, and thank thank you for telling us um, the meaning behind it because I think that's. Um, 
it's interesting to see where all where the names come from. And you do a lot of tweeting about uh, being indigenous and about HR, which is a great combination. <laughs> so tell us how your uh, tell us how your native background has influenced your HR work. I think, well, I, to be specific, I'm in HR, but my specific field is talent acquisition. I'm in recruiting, um, kind of the the stepchild of the HR profession, if you will. And I, I think coming from a Native heritage, what it's taught me is that people can experience and overcome adversity. They can adapt and change and acclimate. And that's really allowed me to consider candidates that maybe would not be considered as seriously at times by perhaps conventional talent acquisition standards. So, for example, someone that is perhaps worker reentry or has had a hoppy or scattered employment background when you look at their resume, maybe would be passed on because those would be traditionally red flags, right? But really, I've been that person. I've had a hoppy job background. I've been worker reentry. I've been through a lot. And it was really difficult for me when I was applying because there were things that people saw on paper that they thought they could interpret, but really they were off quite a bit. So I know when I, when I adopted my son from a local tribe, I took time off to take care of him and there was a work gap and that caused a problem. And I think coming from a Native background and living on reservations and understanding and seeing that people just go through it sometimes and what that it could be, what they're going through could be different for everyone, but it doesn't really mean that they deserve less of a chance. And someone could have been taking care of a sick parent or ended up fostering a family member's child unexpectedly. There could have been a death in the community they had to help with, or like me, I, I adopted a child. These things happen to everyone, really, but I think that being Native has given me firsthand experience, both watching them happen and also experiencing them myself. And so with that said, as I mentioned, I've been through that where I don't look right on paper and experiencing the candidate freeze out and seeing it happen to not just other Natives, but non-Natives as well. I know it's given me compassion and insight to not just leave someone to who they are on paper, but to take time to learn their story. So with that said, I have to put in the plug for always stay within compliance when reviewing a resume, you know, <laughs> and make sure they're, make, they're meeting the qualifications, the years of experience, their MQs, your PQs, all those types of things, but really give someone who meets them a chance to learn about what their human experience is, to learn to push yourself outside the box of thinking about what's a fit. And I, I think for me, that comes from being on the reservation and seeing people overcome just some really extreme adversity, whether it be poverty or trauma, whatever it is they're going through and seeing that unfortunately be fairly prevalent in the reservations where I grew up really makes you stop and think about what people can overcome what they can be stronger for, and then relating it to my field, it tends to take a lot to shake someone who's been through so much and has overcome so much and has shown that they can go through the adversity and still come out standing. And those are the types of people that a lot want on their team. They want to hire them in. They want to give them a chance. But you have to stop and think about not overlooking the person that doesn't look standard on paper. And I think growing up how I did and being native because you've seen those people that are the 
non-standard candidates that it makes you stop to think about how can I recruit and hire differently and not be, in all other words, judgmental. That is awesome. I love that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's so important to really be able to hear people's stories because everybody everybody is unique and everybody has overcome something. Um, I, I'm going to go off script. Poor Wendy. I don't think we've ever had an episode where I didn't go off script a little bit, but I feel like, so go with honestly, it. I feel like our next question is one that you sort of answered already in this question, right? They, they were, there's a little bit of overlap, but I was thinking as you were talking about the compliance piece, right? And make sure that they have the, the minimum qualifications or whatever, but um, kind of thinking of it then through your own lens, which um, is your own personal lens, but it is a native lens. Um, how do you work then on the opposite side? How do you work with your client to really go over those minimum qualifications and make sure that they're creating the qualifications that are actually necessary to do the job, but that aren't going to screen people out? Because I find that um, a lot of people in talent acquisition are, are, will say that like, oh, you have, to, you have to really see the person, but then hiring managers are like, well, no, I said I needed three years of this, or I needed this, or I needed that. And it, it, it's because they kind of have this preconceived notion. So how do you go about working with hiring managers to kind of get past that? I kind of have the, but did you die methodology? So this person doesn't have three years of, I don't know, financial experience, but they have two. Would you die if you didn't have it? Is that going to upend your department? Do we really need to have that in the job description? I think it's a matter of having that really candid conversation when, when you go to develop the job description, but also in a lot of times in recruiting, you don't get to do that. It's handed to you. Sitting down with them and really fully understanding what the deal breakers are and where they maybe have a little bit more wiggle room. So it's that strategic communication. And if you didn't get it, but did you die? No? Okay. Then we're going to be all right to consider this candidate that maybe looks a little bit outside of the box. And I think for me, you, you still, and I'm big on compliance, so you still have to consider sure. what's in the job description. But I think what I have seen at times is sitting down and working with hiring managers and showing them really amazing candidates that maybe aren't exactly the fit but can do the job. What I've had happen quite often is we go back and we write, rewrite the job description. We consider it based on what we're seeing applying and the great candidates we can pull in versus what they think they want versus what reality is. But did you die? No, you still got the good candidate that you wanted. We just had to go back and think a little bit more. I think first round shot out of the gate with the job description is basically that purple unicorn that sneezes glitter and has, <laughs> you know, candy coming out of its hooves every time it runs. That doesn't really exist. That's your ideal everything that you think you want, but do you die if you don't have some of these qualifications? Is it going to pull you to a screeching halt in life and what you're trying to do at work? If we find a candidate that fits, say, 80% of these, can you hire them on potential? Can we take a look at the job description and having those conversations? I think that communication throughout the process, as you see what the market looks like and what maybe salary you're offering looks like and what the team really determines they need, is how you kind of evolve the job description and hiring process as you go through it. I, I love that, but did you die? Um, <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, my fitness instructor uses that quite a bit. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. Well, let, let's talk a little bit about um, bias. I mean, you have a, a pin tweet about um, talent acquisition folks labeling candidates with mental illness and um, you know, I'm in, I'm in talent acquisition too. And, and it is, there's a lot of labels that go on out there. Um, let's talk a little bit about the difficulties of keeping that bias out, whether it's related to mental illness, gender, ethnicity, or any other way that people identify. I do. I do have that pinned tweet. Um, and I, I, for me, where that stemming from is I'm very open about my own mental health issues and it's a risk that shouldn't be there that you take when you are open about it. It shouldn't be a risk. And you hear so many people in, in the human resource and talent acquisition world and just in general, really, but specifically there, they say things like, oh, she's so moody. She must be this, or he was acting this way today. He must be that. And how can we really say that we're non-biased when we are unashamedly and transparently showing that we have a stigma ourselves that we show in casual conversation. It's really unacceptable. And so the truth is, is we don't know how many different mental disorders affect someone and how they work. And we don't know how it can be affecting someone when we openly use these terms for all we know the person we're talking to and I address this in my tweet may have a family member or a close loved one or may themselves have a mental disorder and here we are casually dropping a stereotype it's a negative toned stereotype you never hear someone say wow he's really acting this way today and that's great he must have this mental disorder you just you don't hear that and it's never a positive analogy when people say these things. It's never something that's presented as something that could be of value. It's always negative, and that's really a bias that has got to stop. And so we just can't sit and pretend that we're ADA, EEO, uh, Title Seven friendly when we're having these casual conversations in open spaces on Twitter, on LinkedIn. And it's become really something that society has normalized as a uh, as a designation in a negative way and it's just it's unrelentingly frustrating and so mental health illnesses are often they're not visible it's an it's an invisible illness you don't see and it's not something you can tell by reading a resume or by looking at someone or their behavior characteristics and these types of comments and these stereotypes that we're propagating create an unsafe working environment at the end of the day where people don't feel free to be the holistic self that they can be. And it's just, to me, ridiculous. Everyone should feel the ability and have the ability to be honest when they choose to share. They should be able to share about their mental health without, health without fear. Um, and they should be able to do that without being looked at differently I know that there's been times, so I'm pretty open about I have ADD and somebody, when I bring that out in a meeting, you know, there's always somebody that's, I feel so ADD today. I can't pay attention. That's a common comment that I hear. And then when you bust out, well, I actually have ADD. I've taken medication for it in the past. And you just see the look on their face change because they realize, oops, but stop the oops before it comes out of your mouth, you know? And I think that we really need to work not just in HR or in meetings, but just in society as a whole. We should be setting an example and tone, but especially in HR. It's really just a case 
of people needing to be mindful and humble and aware of their own biases and not promoting them in conversations in the workplace or how they read a candidate. I would be surprised if any of the people making these comments are actually certified doctors or psychiatrists or psychologists. <laughs> They're just anecdotally based on what they think they know about a mental disorder and they're wrong and it's not fair and it creates a very uncomfortable working environment. Everyone has the right to be open and honest and be accepted and through these comments we're just not allowing that and it's not okay. You know I, I think you touched on something great there it's you know we need to we all are biased we just are and so we need to be aware of what our biases are and not hold ourselves to some unrealistic standard that we're going to always be unbiased. But if we're aware of where we are biased, we can do a better job of taking that into consideration when we're making these decisions and helping to take that out of the decision process. Does that make sense what I'm saying? <laughs> it does. And I think you're yeah. right. It, there's all a bias. I know one of my big biases is I don't like people that don't like animals. I don't want to... <laughs> You know, why you don't like animals? I don't like you. That's not right. okay with me. And so I recognize that. But am I going to necessarily, you know, bring it up in a negative way? No, not necessarily. I acknowledge that's my personal bias. And that's where I think people need to work on it with the mental health. You have to create a space for somebody to be open. I'm not going to tell you, you know, it's not okay with me. You don't have a cat right now. I'll still work with you, but keep your mouth shut when you should be keeping your mouth shut about judging somebody else and realize and I think what it really shows is a lot of people don't have the experience with the mental illness, potentially, that they just feel safe, kind of busting out those types of comments. And I can guarantee to you, if you've ever been with someone, had a close friend, child, whatever, that's gone through this and you've heard those comments, it makes you more aware. So it's a matter of stopping to think about the perspective of someone else that's maybe not coming from the same background or personal history as you are. And I think it's really vital in recruiting to pause for a moment to think because that's kind of our job is to hook that candidate and, and get them in. And if we're making these types of comments, it's counterintuitive to what we're actually trying to do, which is to find the most qualified person, not find the person that we think might have a mental health issue or we can make these comments to. You just have to stop and really think about your own personal story and how someone else may have a different one. I, I think that that's so important. And I think um, there's, there's such a flippancy um, when people talk about mental illness, that somebody would joke like that, like, oh, I feel so ADD. And I feel like people are very, um, like you wouldn't be flippant about, a, you know, a physical illness in the same manner. Um, and yet for some reason that it's just, it's culturally acceptable to, to be very flippant about, about an area that most people, you're right, are not very knowledgeable about if you're not a doctor. Um, and frankly, even if you are a doctor and you're trained, a five minute chat with somebody about a job interview is not going to give you information to make any kind of real diagnosis. No actual doctor would do that. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's, um, it's huge. I have uh, noticed recently because language is so important, um, how easy it is for me to throw the word crazy around. And I'm stretching my own vocabulary to stop and be like, no, wait, that's not making me crazy. That's frustrating me or whatever, to just really be more cognizant of the language that I use around mental illness. Um, and it's, it's 
big in our culture. It's, it's just there everywhere you turn. It really um, is. It really is. And I, I think it promotes people to not feel as though they can be as open. And mm-hmm. I think you have to work up so much more courage to mm-hmm. stop the train of mental illness, stigma, stereotypes once they start coming out. Because I feel like what I found personally is when you're working with a group where that's become commonplace, it is very scary to be the one to step up and say, I don't like that. Here's why. And here's my personal journey because they've already shown to you that they don't really Mm -hmm. accept that these mental conditions exist. It's more of an analogy to make in a negative way to run somebody down or run yourself down. And it, it takes away that safe space when I know for me, I need that safe space. And I've, I've been lucky the past couple of employers I've had have been very open about these types of things where I can be open and it's something that we chat about and we can have those conversations. But I know that it was a learning curve for some people working with me to stop the jokes because mm-hmm. all of a sudden they realized that in saying that I was the joke. And that right. wasn't okay with me. And it became not okay with them too. So I hope that that's a, a, a personal culture shift, if you will, that mm-hmm. people realize. But when you're sitting there looking someone in the eye and then they're honest with you about, well, actually, you know, I, in my case, I have ADD or I have anxiety. I have trauma. All of a sudden it becomes real. And it gives pause for thought. It does. and But I think that... Um that it shouldn't be only on people who are experiencing mental illness themselves or, or even just have a family member. And I do um, have family members that, that have some mental illness and it shouldn't just be on, Oh, it touches me personally. And therefore I don't want you to say it. And that doesn't create the safe space. Um, and it's, it's just like people of color shouldn't have to do all of the emotional labor of, creating a safe space for themselves, uh, you know, that, that white allies need to be doing that. So in the same way, um, people who have mental illness or mental disorders need allies in the workplace who say, wait a minute, that's, we, we shouldn't talk like that. That's not funny. That's not acceptable. You're making light or you're, you're, you're using that as a slur in a way that you shouldn't. Um, to be those allies, to create that safe space so that somebody doesn't feel like, oh, how am I going to be the one to bring this up? Because this is something that I am experiencing, but having allies in the workplace who are saying, no, wait a minute, we're going to create a safe space so that anybody here that wants to share can share. And anybody here that doesn't want to share doesn't have to share, but feels like they're safe here and they're not sharing because it's their own personal decision and not because it's not a safe place for them to do that. As a former teacher, I'm glad to hear you're learning. And to your point about the allies, I have yet in my 41 years to have someone step up and defend me on that point. And I think you're very correct, and I concur that we all need to be allies for each other in multiple ways, but particularly in this specific language space. It would be great. I I would love it if someone had ever once in their life stood up for me and backed down those types of comments. I get that, well, she's crazy a lot. but I've never had anyone actually back it down. And so that is, again, I concur with your point, something that we need to shift in how we think about others and how, how we can make them feel welcomed and safe. 
And that's something we throw around in HR all the time, right? We want people to be able to bring their full, you know, to be their authentic selves at work. We want to create safe spaces at work. Um, it, we, have to, we have to actually put the effort in. That's, you can't just say that without doing some work to make it so. Um, so let's move on to the, the next question. Um, just kind of shifting the conversation a little bit. Uh, I have recently seen the term BIPOC for Black Indigenous Person of Color. Um, it's come up recently as a way of acknowledging that the experiences of Black and Indigenous people in this country are very different than the experiences of other people of color. Um, what should HR know or keep in mind about providing support for Native employees, um, talent acquisition, or our other HR colleagues? Like what, what should we know that is um, different about your experience and important for us just in that realm of creating a safe place and allowing everyone to be their authentic self? A very short answer to your question. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I can't speak for everyone. We've all had our own sure. journeys and things we've been yep. through, but I can tell you what I've seen work for me and what have worked for other people that I know well that are mm -hmm. in either the, the, the BIPOC or, or disability or, or wherever they're coming from pool that the best thing you could do is ask ask your employees and you should ask all of them really because you don't know what someone may be going through that they may need support for ask them what more can I do for you is there any support systems we can provide you here at work we don't currently have is there anything we need to do differently would you like more mentoring can you mentor me and one of the things and I have a friend a very dear friend here in town his name is Stephen Matley and he and I back and forth on DNI issues a lot and one of the ideas he's a really big fan of that he's seen work successfully is the idea of reverse mentoring, where you, you go to an org and, you know, everybody gets their mentor and they teach you what to do and the ropes, but take a person of color or a person that's disabled or a person that's LGBTQTIA and, and have them actually mentor the manager on here's what I need from you. Here's what other people like me may need from you. I'm not the speaker for this entire group of people, but here's some advice I would give you. Build that way. I know for me, I'm a big fan of the employee resource groups. It makes you not feel so isolated. And coming from, I've lived on two different reservations and have my own tribe very tight-knit communities, you miss that in a big corporation. And having an ERG group can really help you find that sense of belonging. And I think it helps with the community focus and aligns that value to work. And I like that. It's, it's a good way for me to become integrated, to meet people that are also out there. We can commiserate and share stories and have somebody that has that deep understanding. But then take that and bring it to scale and offer organization-wide education, invite allies to come in, really use that as a platform. I think the other thing is, again, and I'm big on being mindful of speech, and I've had this happen everywhere I've ever been. That's not true. I worked for a tribe, so I didn't have it happen there. But an icebreaker of tell me what your spirit animal is. No, I'm not going to tell you what my spirit animal is. That's offensive. There's lands and different people have totem animals. There's different ways that we interpret that as native. So just to have somebody say it's a butterfly because I saw one one time on a flower, that's offensive to me. That's not how we work it. That's not how it's meant to be. And to bring that up in a forum and expect me to discuss it with you, mm -mm, that's not okay with me. Um, 
The other thing I hear a lot is you want to have a small, short meeting and you call it a powwow. And I say every time, oh, I have some regalia in the trunk of my car. Should I go get it? Are we going to have dancing? Is there going to be drummers? Because that's what a powwow is. You want to have a meeting. I want to have a powwow. Let's pick a lane. Which one's it going to be? Because I'd love to set up a powwow here at work, but I don't think that's what you mean. And then I've literally been in meetings where somebody's brought out a talking stick and wanted to use that to facilitate everybody getting a turn. That's not okay with me either. And that's, that's not what that's for. That's not what we use it for. Um, and I think, you know, somebody walking by a boss that's doing a good job and saying, Hey, well done chief. Good job. No, I mean, sometimes that's an actual job title, but I have yet to have somebody walk by and call somebody chief where that was actually in their job title. No, those types of things aren't okay with me. And I have a big mouth and no fear. So I have no problem bringing that up and pointing out that these things make me feel unwelcome. Let me help you understand why this isn't okay. And I think it comes down to taking time to learn, to listen, and provide the supports that are being asked for. Not what you think they need, what you tell them, right? Not what you tell them. Like, here's this, or we're going to do this over here. Ask them what they need. Your employees in these buckets, these employees that are coming to you from different situations, they know what they need. Ask them, listen, and then react to it. And have an open door policy that shows that you're open to learning and you're open to listening, not just to the natives on your team, but across the board. It's just good practice. I think that's, that's so true. And we, and we do it so often, you know, so many words have just become part of, you know, language that you don't even you don't stop to think of where did this come from? Why am I using it? Should I continue using it? And I think we need to have more of these conversations um, to be able to have put that out there. Um, and, you know, for, for a past couple of years, there's been a hashtag on Twitter, HR tribe. And um, I've been reading more and more about it. And it's one of those things that I've just kind of said, you know what, I don't think I can use that anymore because it has a certain specific meaning for other people and it's not my place to appropriate that language. Um, we can use other words to mean the same thing. And it, it's lazy writing. It's lazy um, thought to use a word without thinking about it. Um, and so the more I write, the more I talk to people, I think we need to be brighter and um, smarter about that kind of stuff. I thank you for that. I've seen some people that have used that hashtag and asked them how that evolved. It's just how it is. You just need to relax. Mm. Yeah. Let's think about, let's think about it's modern times, folks. We all know, we all know <laughs> what appropriation is. Let's not play anymore. Just because it's always been that way doesn't mean it's right. Right. And, and it, it's not, and Anne and I have talked about this in the past too. You know, no, none of us meant anything ill by using that or using any of it. We've, it's what we've grown up with. It's what we use, but we don't have to continue using it. Um, and, and that's, that's where I'm at with this. So, all right. It's time to lighten the things up a little bit. Let's talk the question connection. So this is just like on the HR Social Hour podcast, but we have our own fun female twist. But we do always talk about networking because that's why we're here. We want people to meet each other and uh, get to know people a little bit better. Um, So Jen, how has networking helped you in your career and what's been really effective for you um, as far as being making networking successful? 
I mean, I'm in recruiting my whole entire life. It's networking, also hiring and all the other things. But to, to get there, it's, it's all networking. And I don't think I would be where I'm at had I not developed a strong network. So for me, I, I like meetups. I like in-person things. I'm lucky that I live in an area that's large. There's lots of them. So meetups or mixers where you can have a chance or interact. I've met a lot of really amazing people on Twitter, uh, which has been phenomenal as well. But I think the number one place I've met a lot of people in my most recent position, I did a lot of eventing. So you have to go to the colleges or go to the events and it's slow and you walk around and you talk to everybody and they also give you free candy when you do this. And so it's great. I've met a lot of people that way. And I like the, the in-person, but I, I have to say you can't beat Twitter. That's where I met Katrina Kibben, and we ended up connecting in person in Denver not that long ago. So um, that's been a big one for me as well for networking. I think that, um, well, I know that Wendy and I would concur with that. I think almost all of my HR network has come from Twitter. And that's where Wendy and I connected. That's where Katrina and I connected. That's where I've connected with, yeah, just about everybody. It's my favorite place for networking. Um, tell us about uh, women that you read or follow for professional insights. Sure. We'll stand on the Katrina Kibben bandwagon. Definitely following <laughs> her in three years media. Uh, big fan sure. of Twyla. Yeah. Big fan of Twyla Baker. Uh, I still do a lot of advocacy pro bono on the side. So that's, that's part of my professionalism still is keeping that set fresh. So Twyla Baker's huge on that. Uh, Dr. Catherine Crocker is amazing. Uh, B. Shrule. And I also love Rubalyn Chu from SM Diversity. She's great too. She has a lot of really amazing things she posts on LinkedIn and does a lot of good work in our community here in Seattle and really nationwide. So I think those are kind of my big ones. Awesome. How about your favorite movie that features a strong female cast? Oh my gosh. I don't know. I think the last movie I saw was Lego movie part two um, because <laughs> I have a child, but the last one that, that really kind of sticks out to me was the secret life of bees. Like that's the first one oh. that kind of pop, kind of pops into mind. I remember, I think I maybe cried a lot also, but I remember really liking the cast. I haven't seen that one. I'll need to add that to my list. Girl, get some tissues. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good to okay. know. Yeah, I'm going to try and catch that one myself. What about a favorite female musician or band? I love Rochelle Van Zanten. She's a musician out of Canada that's uh, got some just beautiful music. I'm a, I'm a sucker for guitar music. So love her voice. Love her songs. Big fan. Cool. Okay. So a favorite female protagonist in a book or alternatively favorite female fictional character. Oh, I read a lot, but lately I've really been digging Maggie Hosky from the Sixth world series by Rebecca Roanhorse. Um, very strong female lead, very much not dependent on, on the male to come rescue her. It's usually the other way around. Um, has some good native woven in there as well. Very good themes. Cannot wait for part two. It cannot come soon enough. Awesome. I'm always looking for good uh, fiction to read. So I'm excited. So then finally, um, you've talked a lot about, you know, that, that 
doing talent acquisition, there's a lot of networking involved. It's not, uh, it's not a nine to five where you just clock out and you're done for the day. So I know that takes a lot of time. And you've mentioned that you have a child and you've mentioned that you're also still involved in advocacy. So what do you like to do outside of work in your free time, Jen? <laughs> yeah, what little free time I get. I love to do beadwork. I, I love to read. I, I have two dogs. Um, and I love to go hiking with them as well. Those are kind of my big ones when I get a chance to. Oh, awesome. Love dogs. Yay, dog people. <laughs> Yay. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, Jen, you have survived the question connection. You've survived the conversation. Not that we thought you wouldn't, but this has been just, <laughs> just phenomenal. Um, all, all of the conversation. Um, I think we really got into some good, good stuff there. You and Ann got, did some really great, uh, had some great conversation around uh, the mental health um, issues. I think that's an area that we are, we in HR need to focus on more and start normalizing that conversation. And hopefully the, hopefully this conversation will help that a little bit. I'm, I'm excited about it. So um, this is your chance, Jen, to share with our listeners the best way for uh, folks to get in touch with you if they want to uh, connect with you. Sure. So the best way to get in touch with me is on Twitter. And my handle is at Jen Windat, J-E-N-W-E-N-D-A-T. Awesome. How about you, Ann? Uh, same. The best way to get a hold of me is Twitter. Um, my, it's Ann Tomk, A-N-N-E-T-O-M-K. You can also find me on LinkedIn, Ann awesome. Tomkinson. Awesome. For me, hey, Twitter. If you're not on Twitter, get on Twitter and follow us. Get connected with us. That's that's the big thing. And I do have to give a shout out to the HR Social Hour Twitter chat, fourth Sunday of each month. We hope you will join us. We've got some fun stuff planned for 2019. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll see you on Twitter. Um, and Okay, so we'll just close it out here. Thank you, Jen, so much for joining us tonight on uh, the HR Wonder Women series. We're excited to have had you. Um, and you too, thank you for joining me as always. And uh, everyone, go out and tell your own story. Have a great night.